stuff going on. That's a good phrase. Say that with me. Stuff going on. You guys are awesome, not just because you occasionally say what I say to say. Uh, but I know that you're not satisfied with the empty calories of the world, are you? No. And you probably aren't at this church in this stuffy gymnasium because you're satisfied with empty religion. You're probably here for a different reason, am I right? Oh, definitely. Uh, somewhere along the line, you made some bold choices in your life. Somehow, in some way, and that is why that you are here in this place uh, this morning, and I think that is just awesome. You might need some refreshment. You might occasionally need some redirection or some encouragement, but you have stepped out in life, all of you. You've stepped out in life with a mind to do more, whether you've taken little shuffling baby steps or some big, bold, adult-sized steps. You all have stepped out a little bit, and that is a key to life. So turn to the left or right, pat somebody on the shoulder and say, yeah, you are awesome. <laughs> In some way, shape, or form, you have stepped out with a mind to do more than uh, gets done in the average life. As it says in Ephesians 2, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, we are God's handiwork prepared uh, by him in advance to do good works, or some translations, uh, to do good works that God prepared for us in advance. We are appointed. We have been hired to do good things in this world. We have been appointed and placed by God to get some really cool things done, to have an amazing life on earth and a powerful eternity. And I think that is good news worth celebrating. Maybe you came to this church because it felt as if there was something uh, nicely different about Blue Water Mission and not just the chic sanctuary, but uh, maybe this church felt like just a bit more of a challenge in a good way. I get that a lot. Anybody? Or maybe it felt just, you know, a bit more radical in some good ways. Anybody? You get that? This is sort of a, a feeling or a buzz or an attitude uh, uh, around here. Uh, and I think that sort of stuff is exciting as far as it goes, but it is only nourishing as long as you go with it. You know what I mean? It's exciting as far as it goes, but it's only nourishing and empowering insofar as you go with it. So um, if you, you're here, but you're still not moving in God's given purpose for your life, well, maybe you're starting to feel that, you know, that, that buzz has been misleading, or you're starting to feel like, well, maybe it's just kind of a dead end around here, or worse, a dead end in your life, uh, and what to do if you're feeling stalled out a, a little bit. Uh, and that's kind of a theme of our sermon this morning. First, a little conditioning. Everybody loosen up. We gotta go through some exercises today. Uh, this one is less aerobic uh, than in past, because uh, you all got really sweaty last week and then that was offensive. We are the light of the world, right? Uh, so it's a good idea to have a testimony to share about our life with God. Our life with God should shed light 
on the reality of the world and the reality of people around us. So I want everybody to take uh, one minute, maybe 90 seconds, to compose your one-sentence God story. We've done a version of this exercise before. I'm just going to pause here for 90 seconds, and I'm going to let you do it. Take out your smartphone or a pen and write on the program or do whatever uh, you want to do and compose your one-sentence God story. That means it has uh, a capital word at the beginning and a period or exclamation point at the end. But it's just a one-sentence God story. You might say something like, you know, I would say, it's like, I... I kind of came up in the world entirely independent and socially marginalized, and it's just powerfully interesting that I should make my life by running faith communities now. Uh, I typically say something like that. It's not funny. It's not, that's not a joke. Yes, it is. Um, uh, it might just be like, well, I didn't even know I was seeking after God, but once I found out, it's been a heck of a journey, period. One sentence. Maybe it's like, I don't even know if I believe in God, but I'm seeking, and that's interesting, period. Whatever it is, one sentence, go. I wish I had Jeopardy music to play. All right, who got through it? Uh, who, who has a pretty good one to share? It's like, well, I don't know, but it's, it's kind of okay. Who has that one? All right, Andy, go. God took a man who was lost, scared, and empty, and gave him freedom, truth, and purpose. Freedom, peace, and purpose. One sentence God story. There you go. I'm going to go way out on the limb and say, you're that man. Fantastic. Uh, one more. He's got a decent one. Jacob. Acidic anger replaced with patient peace. Acidic anger replaced with patient peace. All right, so what, that, what makes that a great sentence, a great one-sentence God story, is that you're almost compelled to ask a follow-up question. Acidic anger, what's that? Boom, you're off and running. You're having a life-changing conversation. Who's got one more? This is fun. Somebody in this section. Oh, Nalani's got one. I never thought Jesus was real until he started changing my life. I never thought Jesus was real until he started changing my life. Almost compels a question. What's the question? How? <laughs> what changed? How? Beautiful. One sentence God stories. Give yourself a hand. So who here believes that you are in a story with God that could very well be an excellent story to share to provide illumination for someone in their life? Who feels that you might be in a story like that? That's the kind of life we want to live. That's the kind of story we want to live with God. We are the light of the world, which means that we show truth about the world. We show truth about lives, ours and other people's. 
uh, we show truth about God's loving purpose. Uh, in my life, I have been blessed, I think, uh, with, uh, I don't know, maybe my fair share of challenges. Uh, let's put it that way. I think there are people who have had harder things to deal with in life. What makes my life unique is that I've had a great variety of hard things to deal with. I kind of do, I do breadth well. Uh, and so that has been my uh, unique blessing. And a lot of you know uh, that the, like the past two, two and a half years of my life have been particularly uh, challenging. I've had occasion to think about uh, challenges that have come to me through the years and that have made my life hard. Enough talking about that. Uh, I don't feel as if I have accomplished anywhere near the range of what I want to accomplish in life. I've overcome some things, but I, I'm kind of in that place. I just don't feel like I've accomplished the lion's share of stuff that I want to accomplish yet. Anybody feel like that? That's how I feel. Uh, and, and the going has often been tough, and it's not getting easier over the past few years, at least. You know, it's not getting easier. So I, I don't feel like I've accomplished the lion's share of what I want to accomplish, and I don't feel as if life is getting a great deal easier. But I can say this, and I mean to say it with great definitiveness uh, this morning. Right now, I believe in my heart of hearts, I believe in my bones that I'm better at what I do than I have ever been. Yeah? haven't accomplished all this stuff yet, and I'm not just like cruising in life, but I believe like in, in terms of the vital things that Jordan Sang is, is bringing to the world, I feel like I'm better at them than I've ever been. Uh, and so that's, that's cause for some hope. That's cause for some faith. It's cause for a great deal of discipline. One of my personal proverbs, discipline is the art of hope. Um, and, and I have better focus in terms of my purpose on the planet than I've ever had. Better understanding and clarity. How many of you can say that? All right, two of you. Excellent. Maybe by the end of the sermon, uh, we'll get more of us further down that road. Uh, what I want for all of us in life is to live life at the level of our purpose. I want you to live life at the level of your purpose. Now, all of us have a big God-given purpose. Everybody say that with me. Big God-given purpose. Or for the purposes of the rest of the sermon, BGP. We all have a BGP. Now, generally speaking, our BGP is to be salt and light in the world. And we've talked about that a lot over the last few weeks. But we also all have, you know, a unique version of our BGP along the lines of the verse from Ephesians 2 that I quoted earlier, that God has prepared in advance for each of us good works to do. Like, He has jobs in mind, or more properly understood, a set of jobs, or probably a set of grand purposes in mind for each of us. It's where big love and big power meet for you. Your big God-given purpose is where you find big love combined with big power for you uniquely in life. And this sort of thing is all over Scripture. 
all over Scripture. In fact, I defy you to find one significant narrative in the Bible wherein God doesn't essentially say to someone, hey, I have a job for you. All of the great personal stories in Scripture have this in common. When, when Jesus calls someone, it calls that person to a purpose in the world, to a significant uh, mission. Uh, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. See, that second clause there is really important. Jesus always calls you into salvation, restoration, but he always calls you according to a big God-given purpose uh, that God has for you. Uh, one of your scriptures in the program this, for- this morning is from uh, John chapter 15. Jesus talking to his followers, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, in, in our nomenclature, it would be, and hired you uh, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. It's like, look, I chose you for a job, and this job will be fruitful. And if you live according to that, you can ask God for whatever you want, and you're going to get it. It's your job. It's your purpose that unlocks your prayer life, that unlocks uh, requests that you make to God. Uh, Ephesians 4, 1, 3. It's the next verse down on the, on the program or on the big screen. This is Paul talking. This is like vintage Paul. Wherever you read one of Paul's letters to his churches, um, you always find stuff like this. As a prisoner for the Lord, Paul is writing from prison probably. As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling, of the calling you have received. Uh, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It goes on, but but essentially what Paul is saying is live according to your calling. You know, don't, don't just live according to, like, propositional truth about who God is, although that's great. It says live according to the job you're supposed to do in this life. That's the key. Paul says. And he says it all the time. He says it uh, to the Thessalonians uh, in uh, the next scripture. With this in mind, we, Paul's talking about his leadership team, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, which is a clunky phrase. It basically means that our God would muscle you up so that you can do your job essentially is what he's saying, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. It's it's in doing your job in the world that Jesus gets glory. Um, uh, According, and may be glorified in you and you in him, it's by doing your job in the world that you become the glorious creature that you're meant to be according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus. 1 Peter 2.9, which would be the last uh, verse there. This is from the Apostle Peter, not Paul. But, he, you know, they all say essentially the same thing. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's using every superlative description that he can. It's like, you have work to do, uh, and this is uh, what God has hired you for. 
God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and in his wonderful light. You have a job, and it has to do with being salt and light in the world, but you know, you can go anywhere in Scripture and find the same thing, the same principle talked about. You can go back to Adam and Eve. All right, it's been a rough season, guys, but now you got a job to do. You're going to go out there, you're going to be fruitful and multiply, and you're going to subdue the earth. You're going to overwhelm chaos with the order of how things should be. Go. Even at the beginning, we started off our race with a mission. You know, Abraham, the father of the faith, is blessed so that he may be a blessing to the nations. Everybody has a calling. And here's what we need to, go, to know. Our God-given life purpose is the most important thing for us to pursue in life. If God has given you a purpose, almost by definition, it's the most important thing for you to pursue in life. A big reason for that is because in our purpose lies our power. If you are not living according to your big God-given purpose, then you won't be nearly as powerful a person as you would be otherwise. In our purpose lies our power. That's probably worth saying out loud. In our purpose lies our power. When you move in your purpose, you are powerful, you are creative, and you are an influential person. And you probably generate all of those things uh, that your heart craves, like joy and peace and passion. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, and then all else will be added to you, i.e., bring heavenly order to the chaotic planet. Be salt, as I have commanded you to be salt. Be light, as you are designed to be light. And move in your purpose and your calling. Make that first. And then everything else will fall into place. All this will be added unto you. You know that verse, right? A lot of you, if you've been hanging around churches for any length of time in your life, seek first the kingdom, and all else will be added to you. In your purpose lies your greatest power. In your purpose lies your greatest love. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is the power gospel. God wants you to be powerful. He wants you to be salty. He wants you to be a glaring, brilliant light on the earth. And that, as Paul says, is not just how he glorified, but it's how you become glorious. It's how you become big, joyful, and loving. Move in his purpose for you experience power, experience the manifestation of the Spirit in your calling, and you'll find that you have power for the rest of it as well. But if you don't move in that first, then you'll always feel stymied in some way, shape, or form. You will always feel dissatisfied and inglorious. Am I saying that your God-given purpose, am I saying that your mission from God in the world is the most important thing in life? Well, yeah, sort of. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying, only because Jesus said it. Uh, there is a sense in which, in which my family is more important than any ministry mission that I might do in a given day, right? As I have to take care of my family, uh, I love them. Uh, sure, but it's when I move in my ministry mission that I am most powerful 
for my family. Seek first kingdom business, and all the rest will be added to you. I am a better man when I am moving in my BGP. I am the man that they need me to be when I'm doing that. So it's an issue of priorities, right? You can measure importance however way you want, but in terms of priorities, you have to fight to get it right in, in, in life, which is why Jesus said these crazy-sounding things like, well, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a, a kingdom person, then you must hate your father and mother, your brothers and sisters. You guys know that verse? It's one of those shocking, hyperbolic verses that Jesus says. You know, he's not saying, yeah, go hate your family. I mean, obviously, he's making a, an illustration here, a pithy point. He's saying, you must be ruthless about your priorities, right? Because Hey, taking care of your family is more than a full-time occupation in life, right? I mean, my gosh. So it can easily, easily, for pretty good reasons, crowd out mission and being salt and light to people beyond your family. And so Jesus responds to that by just being super ruthless about it. It's like, yeah, I know it's hard, but listen to me. The priority must be on your big God-given purpose. Oh, yeah, take care of your family. But do this first, and then that will be much easier. You know, it's like the oxygen mask in the airplane, right? It's like, when it falls down, you do you first. Why? Because if you don't do you first, then you won't be able to rescue the kids around you. You got to get it right. Otherwise, nobody stands much of a chance. Uh, and... This is sort of Jesus' teaching uh, on, on the situation. The world, as we've talked about in the last few weeks, is often dominated by chaos. And chaos will say and do anything to keep you away from your big God-given purpose. It's the thing that chaos fears more than anything else in your life. Chaos hates your big God-given purpose. It would rather you do anything and will suggest everything to you, but it will keep you away from your big God-given purpose. So one of the hints is the, the big God-given purpose in your life, the place of purpose is the place where the battle will be most concentrated. At the level of your big purpose is where you will experience the most chaos in your life, because that's where the battle will press most severely. Chaos doesn't always attack head-on, right? Chaos doesn't come to me and say, Jordan, you have no big God-given purpose. In a moment of big purpose, chaos comes to me and says, Jordan, did you return those emails? Uh, Jordan, are you, are you taking Jeremiah to his tennis practice or is Sonia, right? Chaos often attacks from the side and details and stuff like that. Chaos is very, very creative. So we must be very, very ruthless. So what happens in life generally is that instead of living at the level of our purpose, we live at the wrong level. Uh, when you live life at the level of purpose, the most powerful you happens. You have power to deal with all of the rest of life. But often we refuse to live at the level of our purpose, and instead we live at the level of our convenience, maybe. Convenience ruins more lives than malaria. Uh, I think 
convenience ruins more churches than any other force on earth. I think uh, convenience cripples more disciples, maybe more than any sin ever invented. You know what I'm saying about convenience? Uh, and I think, I think sometimes churches just buy into this, you know, and they become convenient, consumer-oriented uh, churches. Um, if we meet in this gym, it's impossible for us to be a convenient, consumer-oriented church. So, so we're helped by our environment. Yay, yay, God. Um, but there are all sorts of sources of convenience in your life and your spiritual life. Uh, most of us are addicted to convenience. Why? Because, because we think life is too hard. We think life is too complicated. It's overly busy. And so what do you do? Well, convenience is the easiest solution. And then we live at the level of convenience instead of pushing through the chaos and living at the level of our purpose. Or instead of living at the level of our purpose, we live at the level of our, say, our past. We say things like, well, we were, we were once really... I was once really disappointed in this area, so I'm really not going to press there again, or I'm not going to press into that as hard as I used to, or I screwed up in the past, or somebody screwed me over in the past in that area, so I'm not going to have a future there. How, how many of you think, yeah, I have, I have often lived at the level of my past instead of living at the level of my purpose? Uh, ask anybody on the church's Sozo team if living at the level of your past is common. Can I get an amen, guys? We do it all the time. Or maybe instead of living at the level of our purpose, we live at the level of our feelings. We live at the level of our emotions. We pursue what feels good or we avoid what doesn't. And that's just a nice way to live life. You can go a long ways just doing that. We say, if I'm not happy with it, then it must not be God. As if your emotions were mature enough to define God's plan for you. You know, emotions mature, joy, love, things like that mature, and you can't necessarily trust how you feel in the first instance. I mean, um, you ever uh, go to a body of water with the plan to swim and... You know, some people jump in and they just start swimming, and in about 30 seconds they feel totally comfortable. Some people tip into the water and it's too cold, so they turn around and they leave. Even in Hawaii, this happens. Right? Because the way it feels in the first instance is an insurmountable barrier for some people. Even though cognitively they know that it's perfectly fine to get in there and they'll have, they'll have fun. You see this all the time. Um, chaos totally uses emotion uh, in our lives. The whole sermons could be preached on that. Joy will come to you when you move in your big God-given purpose, but, but don't be like that swimmer who gets turned off in the first instance because it doesn't feel good right away. Some of us, instead of living at the level of our purpose, live at the level of our security. We live at the level of our material security, or we live at the level of our professional security. Jesus talked about money and security matters more than he talked about any other single moral issue because he knows that this is often how the world gets us. We often follow our professions like they were unquestionably worthy masters. Work is sacred, and your job, whatever it is, is an important ministry kuleana for you. It's an important pasture of ministry in your life. 
but your work and your profession is not your master. And if you're unemployed, your unemployment is not your master either, but we won't go there this morning. Live at the level of your big God-given purpose. God provides, little flock, to paraphrase Jesus. God provides. Pursue your purpose first. Or we live at the level of our resources instead of living at the level of our purpose. What purpose would you pursue in life if I gave you a million dollars cash this morning? Well, get busy on it now. Because uh, resources do not empower purpose. Purpose empowers resources. We have to get that straight. There's a sermon or two in that as well. Some of us live at the level of our relationships instead of living at the level of our big God-given purpose. In my experience as a leader of kingdom communities, the number one killer of discipleship in demographically young churches is romance. Romance is the number one killer of discipleship. And I don't mean like romance got and bad. I don't mean like, you know, gnarly romance or inappropriate sexual relationships. I just mean like when you get into a romantic relationship, it consumes you and you forget about your purpose. Or you figure like, once I get this straight, I'll be able to live the life I want. And then if you break up, oh, that's it. That's it. You know, forget purpose. Forget church. I'm probably going to move churches. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I can't even be around that guy. Uh, be around that woman makes me feel embarrassed, so it disrupts absolutely everything. Um, and I don't mean to disparage your romance, because I have been married for 25 years. I am pro-romance. I am a heartthrob. <laughs> but everything in its place. You know, first things first. And then you can become uh, a an engine of romantic passion like I am. But maybe it's not just romantic relationships with you. Maybe it's family relationships. Maybe it's a desire for good-feeling relationships. Maybe it's a desire for fitting in. These sorts of things often master us entirely, and they become the dominators in our lives. Some churches act as if good fellowship is the purpose instead of being fellowships of purpose. It happens. You are a better friend to people when you're moving in your purpose. I guarantee it. More on that later. A little bit more of that in the all-church retreat. And then sometimes we just live at the level of vagueness and delay. We live at the level of no level. We live at the level of sort of empty mind, empty life. Uh, vagueness and delay are chaos's favorite weapons, right? They don't, chaos doesn't defeat your concept of your purpose. It just sort of like fogs it so that you don't think about it very much. It doesn't say, no, never do that. It just says, yeah, but don't do that yet. Don't do that yet. Uh, delay is a great purpose killer. Maybe you don't know why you're not moving in your big God-given purpose. You've just somehow never gotten around to it, and I think that's probably 80% of Christians in the world, and I'm being very generous with that estimate. How do you find your big God-given purpose? How many of you are thinking about that? Uh, point number one, it's really easy, and I think most of you probably already have an idea what it is, even if you don't believe in God yet. Uh, but here are a couple notes on it generally. Uh, we'll do more on this in the all-church retreat. But number one, God can reveal it to you. Ask. My experience is that he's pretty chatty about these things. Get the prophets to pray for you after the service, and they'll usually give you some hints straight away. 
It's not tremendously difficult. They might not give you a detailed blueprint, but what fun would that be? It's a life of faith after all. So you can ask God. He might reveal it to you, or you can simply find where your power and love flow best. But you have to be honest about the way that you evaluate it. Big purpose does not equal big vision. What I mean by that is big purpose can be and often is found in small activities. Uh, Bringing just one person at a time to the Lord, but bringing person after person after person turns into a very, very big purpose. Maybe, Maybe you're just changing the lives of the 25 kids in your classroom where you teach. Uh, But do it at a broad and deep level and do it year after year. That's a tremendous world-changing purpose right there. Maybe you're just building one excellent small group, one excellent ohana group uh, in, in, uh, in your life gathering people and getting involved in their lives in a discipleship sort of way. But maybe that group will multiply and build more groups. Uh, Maybe you're to finish off this group well and build another one yourself. You know, just a small group of people at a time. Sonia and I have accidentally planted a number of churches that way. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton both have big visions. I'll be perfectly frank with you. I'm not sure either of them have a big purpose. I don't I don't mean to be mean, but I have a very good sense for big God-given purposes, and I'm I'm not sure I'm perceiving it anywhere in our national political climate. Might just be me. Give me a secret right-wing or left-wing amen. I don't care where you're coming from, but yeah. So more on finding your purpose later. Uh, We're going to do a lot of this at the church retreat. Uh, and we'll do some more of it later in this sermon series. But it's not hard to find your purpose. Most of you already have a feeling for it, what Paul would call the good desire in your heart. It's not hard, people. It's not hard to find it. It's just hard to follow through. But mistakes get made. And the biggest mistake is that you kind of gravitate toward your big purpose, and then you stall out don't stall out. If you've stalled out, then, you know, you get symptoms. Maybe you always feel a little bit vague about what you're supposed to be about in life. Anybody? Um, Just kind of not sure. Maybe you always feel just a little bit stifled, often a bit disempowered and dissatisfied. Those are the classic symptoms of really not moving in your big God-given purpose. Maybe, uh, maybe your job is to be a powerful light in the world, and to, maybe you're supposed to, uh, as Scripture says, turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. You're supposed to restore uh, families uh, in the world, but instead you're just trying to, you know, kind of do right by your spouse and prepare your kids to get into college. Very good things to do right by your spouse and to prepare your kids for calling, but it's not the, it's not the same thing, is it? It's not the same of turning the hearts of fathers back to their children and illuminating that into the world. Uh, Maybe you're supposed to be uh, like a creator of jobs, a pioneer uh, of sustenance for people. Maybe you're supposed to be an adventurous businessman, but instead you're just managing a portfolio. 
Uh, maybe you've chosen a high salary or a high income instead of being on the productive, job-creating adventure that you should be on. Uh, or maybe your purpose is to be an incredible evangelist on earth, but instead you're just being a really, really friendly person. You know, halfway stall out. Uh, or maybe you find yourself struggling along, and not as an evangelist, but as a, as a salesman. Maybe you're selling something, and maybe you're quite good at it, but you find yourself wondering why you're selling what you're selling. You don't feel big purpose in it, you know? Not that there has to be that in a sales job, but it's got to be somewhere in your life. Uh, maybe your purpose is to empower and protect children, maybe especially uh, vulnerable or poor uh, children, but you find yourself instead just trying to just trying to navigate the industrial classroom at the school where you teach. Maybe you're just missing the big God-given purpose in the flow of your daily work. Maybe you're supposed to build kingdom small groups, um, but instead you're responding to what I call the builder's itch. Does anybody ever get the builder's itch? If, you're, if you've been called to a building purpose, you might get it. Uh, maybe you have the builder's itch in your life, but instead of building kingdom small groups or something like that, you are instead constantly pursuing new creative hobbies or tackling fairly frequent career changes. You're not really sure why there have been so many for you, but, you know, it, it's, it's answering that pioneer's itch, that builder's itch in you, but there's no big God-given purpose in it, you know. You're responding to it halfway but there's no definitiveness in it yet for you. Or maybe your purpose is to define and, and empower people. Maybe just, you know, to really call people out into themselves in this age of impersonalization. But instead, you become one of those people who just say yes all the time. What I mean by that is you are designed to make people say yes to the big purpose of God in their lives. But instead, you've become a yes person. Happens all the time. You're supposed to move in the power of yes, but you have instead turned it inward on yourself and become a yes man or a yes woman. Happens all the time. Maybe that characterizes your life. Maybe you've got no sense for what your kingdom purpose really is, so you've become obsessed with evaluating whether God's people are moving in their purpose. Maybe you're just into the latest spiritual fad. Maybe you spend your time chasing intense spiritual experiences as if that was really kingdom purpose. You've mistaken kingdom fuel for kingdom purpose. Uh, maybe God called you to a vocation, but instead you are pursuing a paid profession. Uh, maybe he called you to art, but since you couldn't make money at art, you abandon it. As if making money at it were really the de definition of kingdom purpose in it. So you stop doing it, thinking that it wasn't working out for you. Your concepts are all screwed up. We could go on, but people make mistakes about the level at which they live. Here's my message to you this morning. You've got to find it, man. You've got to find your big God-given purpose, and you've got to hold on to it, and you've got to pursue it, almost as if nothing else mattered. 
because in this world of chaos, that's the attitude that it takes. And when you do it, you become a powerful, world-changing person, and you experience the love and the power and the attendant joy that goes on with that. That's what the Bible says, and it says it all the time. And we just need to be crystal clear in our heads about how this works. Some of us are getting close, and I think as a church body, we are getting close to moving in our big God-given purpose. As a result, chaos has grown stronger because chaos will do anything to keep us from moving in our big God-given purposes. And so we see symptoms at church. And maybe it's harder for you to get to church than it's ever been. I see things at church in the last several weeks that we've been talking about this. Like Jerome said to me this morning, hey, my whole section is missing. Like whole groups of people are absent together. What's going on there? There are people that I know were really close that have not shown up in the month that I've been back from my sabbatical. Chaos has taken them. Why? Because they were close. And so chaos upped its game, and we see the results. Um, it's going to be a battle, which is why we need to get clear about it. It's the most important thing you can do to shape your life with God. Now, maybe it's not the most urgent thing that you can do. Maybe you have a loved one in the hospital this morning. That's urgent. You've got to go take care of that. Life is a fabric of many things. But overall, you need that big God-given purpose to be the thing that orients your whole life. That's biblical. That's what it means to have a calling and to live a life worthy of your calling. Um, your God-given purpose is the big deal, but I can't do it for you. I cannot build a church system that guarantees everybody moves in their big God-given purpose. I can't do that. That's not how God designed the world. God designed us as individuals. No system will make this happen. I can preach the message, but we have to grow up into it. All of us. Uh, it's up to you to chase this thing, and it always has been up to you. Always. Takeaway number one, you got to find and you got to flow in your BGP. You must be a person of purpose. Now listen to this. You don't become a person of purpose by finding your big God-given purpose. You become a person of purpose, and that's how you arrive at your big God-given purpose. If you're not willing to be salt and light on your job right now, if you're not willing to be salt and light to that guy that you pass when you're working out on Wilhelmina Rise, if you're not willing to be salt and light to the person sitting next to you this morning, if you don't make that effort, then of course you're not going to move in your big God-given purpose because you're not yet a person of purpose. And if you chase after your big God-given purpose without being willing to do the small steps of purpose in your life, you will crash and burn and it will not be pretty. It will be burnout. Your life will go up and down and around in circles because you're chasing purpose, but you're not manifesting purpose. You understand? We have to be super, super, super clear on this. Be a person of purpose. Finding then your big God-given purpose, not hard at all. Beat the chaos in the little things uh, first. Be salt and light. Do this or quit. Do it or just quit now. Save yourself the trouble and us the ugliness. Why do I say it so strongly? Because that's what Jesus said. If salt loses its saltiness, I'm telling you people, it's worthless. 
it's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled by men. It's one of those shocking Jesus phrases. Why does he say it that way? Because he knows how big a deal it is. Either be salt and light today, where you're at, every day, where you're at, with the people around you, or quit. Quit. This life will not work for you. And it will just give people a false idea of what Christians are like and what God's purposes and love in the world are like. So please quit. But if you want to be salt and light, throw down. We've taught all these easy gimmicks and helps, and you all have a one-sentence God story. I mean, you are well-equipped for this. And you've got a great church to draw from, right? All right, takeaway number two, find the place of most power and love. We'll do a little bit of this at the all-church retreat, but if I said, all right, I want you to think of three spirit uh, experiences where you felt like power and love really flowed for you. And using those three experiences, we could probably draw a fairly decent map to your big God-given purpose. We can do better than that. But what I'm saying is these things are usually simple if you make up your mind to go there, if you make up your mind uh, to do it. So be aware, though, that the place of purpose in your life, that living at the level of purpose will be the place where you experience the most chaos and pushback. So you have to learn to fight. You have to learn to fight. You must. That's why the church retreat is called Fighting the Good Fight, and that's what we're going to talk about there. Let's pray.